Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Well, again, good morning uh, to each one of you. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And again, uh, high school seniors, special welcome to you. Uh, glad you are, have been a part of our congregation for these years, and I was reflecting uh, just on the, the, some of the, the steadiness that you guys have been in youth group, and uh, thanking you for your, your presence and your wisdom and your answers, and uh, we will definitely miss you in that setting, but uh, definitely praying for you again as you go from here. Today is, a, again, another special day in the life of our congregation. We've had a, a handful of them uh, right in a row, right? A couple of weeks ago, we had Confirmation Sunday where six different students confirmed what the Lord has been doing in their lives. And last week, of course, was Mother's Day, and Pastor Lloyd talked to uh, not just mothers, but to anybody who has a mother. And uh, this week, again, Senior Recognition Sunday. And uh, just so grateful for what the Lord is doing in your life and where he will continue to lead you. And as I mentioned, uh, I'll say again, uh, we continue to pray for you and know that and know that you always have this caring congregation that loves you and supports you. And uh, uh, numerous studies have been done over the last few years and they all point kind of a staggering picture of, of the life of faith in new college students. In 2018, Barna estimated that roughly 70% of high school students who enter college as professing Christians will leave with little or no faith. 70%. And about that same time, and I think it was 2019, uh, Lifeway Research discovered that two out of three students who attended a Protestant church regularly for at least a year as a teenager say they also dropped out of church for a year in college. And even though those uh, specific reports are five, six years old already, studies since then have kind of backed that up and said the same thing. And those numbers are, are staggering, aren't they? Especially for me as a youth pastor. That means uh, statistically that, that of the four seniors that came up today, 2.8 of them <laughs> will, will leave college with little to no faith and stop attending church. And I'm hoping and praying and I'm really trusting in the Lord that you four are, are an exception to that rule. But those same studies that also looked at the number of students who dropped out or who left the church, left the faith, also examined why, why those who stayed in the church stayed. And do you know what the number one reason one was? What the most influential piece on a student's spiritual life was in high school and beyond? What was the most constant uh, or predictor of students staying in the church? Mom and dad. <laughs> it's not surprising, is it? It's not the youth pastor, not big youth conventions, not stellar programs. Mom and dad. And you four who, who we recognize today, you have wonderful and godly families who have set examples for you. You have a solid foundation, a solid pattern laid down in God's word. You have been grounded in the truth. Continue to stay grounded. 
And this morning, as we turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter gives, as I count, four uh, key components of staying grounded throughout life. And this message isn't going to be just preached to the four high school uh, seniors today. This is for all of us as we need these truths in our lives. Stay grounded. Stay reliant. Stay alert. Stay focused. So if you have your Bibles, again, 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll read verses 5 through 11. Would you stand with me as I read, if you're able? Reading in Jesus' name, Peter says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by, your, by the brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you again for the day. We thank you for the truth of your word. Your word is truth. Please sanctify us in that truth. And Father, I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of every present heart would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Stay grounded. The first key component uh, that I see in this text about staying grounded in the faith is to stay humble. Stay humble. You probably caught that emphasis in verses 5 and 6. And the first step of staying humble, Peter says in verse 5, is to accept the authority of the elders. Be subject to the elders. And at first glance, this seems uh, like an odd place to start a discussion on humility. But when you stop to ponder it, I think it makes pretty good sense. In this context, the word elder has a twofold meaning. First, Peter is speaking directly to those who are younger, telling them to how to relate to people older than them. Being subject, accepting the authority of the elders means that we realize that we do not have all of the answers and that it's wise to accept the advice of those who have walked these paths before, even if it was years or decades before your time. The context may change, but the same struggles and trials that will come at you have come at the other generations that have gone on before you. Seek their advice, their counsel, their wisdom. Stay humble. Accept the authority of the elders. But there's a second context in which Peter uses the word elder here in verse 5, and it has to do with in the context of a church, a local congregation. In verse 1 and 2 of this chapter, he says, I exhort the elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The elders were the church leadership, the pastors and deacons within a congregation who were to oversee the spiritual care of their congregation. And so seniors and congregation as a whole, 
as you seek to stay humble, accept the authority of the elders. Part of this means that you get plugged into a local congregation. Wherever you go, whether it's far or near, find a church that holds to the authority of God's word and teaches it as such. Be underneath the authority of the word of God. Get plugged in wherever you go. Stay humble. Stay connected. Stay humble by accepting the authority of the elders. In these verses here, Paul also says, or I'm sorry, Peter also says that, that Christians ought to let humility define us. He tells Christians to clothe yourself or to dress yourself in humility. Uh, the Greek word here for clothe is, is kind of a fun word, egkombomai, egkombomai. Literally, it means to tie something onto yourself. Um, however, in antiquity, the word was often referred to, to servants or slaves who used to tie a, a, a not, or knot a white scarf or apron over their clothes to distinguish themselves from the freemen. So that white scarf or that apron served as a distinguishing token, a, a visible mark that, that they were a servant or a slave and they belonged to somebody else. Everybody who saw it would recognize it for what it was. And Peter says it's to be the same way for those of us who are servants of Christ. Except the distinguishing token uh, was, was to be the mark of humility. Hmm. Humility was to be a defining mark for Christians. So what is humility? Oftentimes when we think of humility, we think of somebody who, who has a tendency to downplay their gifts, their talents, their abilities, and, and they shift their attention to the negatives. Uh, you might congratulate a, a humble graduate in the coming weeks only to, the, only to have them brush it off and say, yeah, well, I wasn't at the top of my class. Or you might, you might attend a track meet and congratulate somebody who says, yeah, but I didn't beat my personal record. Right? Humility isn't downgrading yourself or, or looking down on the person that God has made you to be. Rick Warren, in his uh, book, The Purpose Driven Life, defined humility this way. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but humility is thinking of yourself less. And I like that definition. True humility, true honest humility puts the needs of others before the needs of yourself. It thinks about the needs of, of, of you less than the needs of others. And it fits with what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Help them out with their homework. Give them a lift when their car breaks down, even if it means you have to go out of your way. Give credit to your teammates for a victory, even if you scored the winning run. Stay humble. And when we humble ourselves, a promise of Scripture is that at the proper time, He may exalt you. If you humble yourself, the promise of Scripture is that God will honor you. And now this isn't a name it and claim it prosperity guide prosperity gospel type promise here. No, we are, we are in no way able to hold God hostage to this promise, but he does promise us that if, if we do the, the exalting, if we leave the exalting, leave the honoring to him, that he will do it in the right and proper time. And it might be in this lifetime or it might also be in the lifetime to come. 
but it is his promise to us. Stay humble. Another key component uh, of staying grounded is by staying reliant on the Lord. Staying reliant on the Lord. Look at verse 7. Peter says this. He says, Casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, last year nearly 20% of adults uh, experienced some form of anxiety disorder. And at the same time, nearly uh, 32% of middle and high school students experienced some anxiety disorder. And those numbers are down from the extreme that they were during the COVID moment, but they're still remarkable. One in five adults, one in three students are battling anxiety disorders. And even if we're not chronically anxious or suffering from from erratic spurts of panic, anxiety and worry, it tends to creep up in our lives, in our everyday lives, right? We have bills to pay. There are mouths to feed. There are projects to complete, tests to study for, conflict and strife within families. Anxiety comes at us from all sides. And earlier this morning, Addie, you read from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And he tells us in those verses three times, he says, Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Yet for somebody who is suffering from anxiety, those, those words of Jesus, Do not be anxious, can sound like bad advice given to a drowning man. Just, just, just swim. Just start to swim and you'll be all right. Somebody who is drowning doesn't need swimming lessons. They need immediate rescue. So simply telling somebody with anxiety not to be anxious isn't necessarily helpful. Anxiety sufferers need rescue. And thank you, Jesus does give a rescue, a remedy from anxiety. He directs our attention to the Lord, to his provision, to his blessing, In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as we shift our priorities from the temporal to the permanent approach, the things of earth grow strangely dim, as we just sang, in the light of his glory and grace. And here, in these verses, Peter tells us how to approach anxiety. He tells us to give our anxieties to the Lord, casting them on him. Instead of worrying, instead of fretting, instead of stewing, instead of wondering what's next, we release those cares, those anxieties to the Lord. We put them where they belong, in the Lord's hands. There's a Lutheran pastor and author, David Paulison, who wrote, Most of the noise in our souls is generated by trying to control the uncontrollable. And he says, Be still my soul. Hmm. And this being reliant, this casting of of cares, this turning over of anxieties, this ceasing ceasing to seek to control the uncontrollable, this being reliant on the Lord isn't a one and done solution, but this is a constant practice, something that needs to be done every day with every new situation. And Peter gives a a gospel promise in the midst of these anxieties and a a reason really to cast them upon the Lord God. He cares for you. This is the gospel promise. God cares for you. 
We, we know that, don't we? we? We've heard it ever since we were little, but it's a, it's a mind-blowing, really powerful truth that God, the creator of the cosmos, knows and cares for you. And while there are always big international crises to deal with, God's heart and his love and his care and his concern is for you and what you are dealing with. And brothers and sisters and you high school seniors as well, if you ever begin to doubt God's love and his care for you, look at the cross. Paul says in Romans 5.8, he says, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love was shown, was demonstrated on the cross. There, Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the Son of God, died on your behalf. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your shame. Those were transferred to his account, and in return, Jesus gives to you his perfect righteousness to wear, so much so that the Father no longer sees you as the, as the rotten sinner you are, but the Father looks at you and sees perfection. He loves you. He cares for you. Cast your anxieties on him. Be reliant upon him. So Peter says to stay humble, to stay reliant, and then the next component of staying grounded is to stay alert. Stay alert. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. Peter writes this. He says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Stay alert. First, Peter tells us to be sober-minded and to be watchful for our enemy. And we often tend to forget it, but the reality is that there is more to this world that is around us than what we can see we tend to forget that there is a spiritual dimension that intersects with the uh, physical plane. It's kind of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind type thing, but it's real. It's there, a dimension, a spiritual world. It's a, it's a realm of good versus evil where the unseen forces of our enemy rebel against the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we read of this reality all throughout the Gospels, especially in the miracles of Jesus. He often interacts with demons, casting them out, expelling them, exercising his authority over them. The Apostle Paul calls our enemy the prince of the power of the air. One of my favorite examples of this reality uh, from Scripture is in the Old Testament story of Elisha. Uh, Elisha was a prophet and was Elijah's successor. And at, the, and this time, at this time, the king of Syria, a nation right north of Israel, uh, the king of Syria was raiding and warring within Israel. And the Lord, through visions, through dreams, would tell Elisha where the Syrian king would set up his camp. And Elisha then would pass on that information to the Israelite king. And this insider information that, that Elisha provided irked the Assyrian king, and he sent his army to capture Elisha. And the Syrian army surrounded Elisha during the night. And in the morning when, when Elijah's servant woke up, he panicked because he saw the enemy surrounding him. And remember what happens next? <laughs> Elisha says to the servant, relax. 
those who are with us are more than those who are with them. <laughs> and I'm sure the servant just kind of stood there and counting one, two, <laughs> and then, you know, starting to count all of the enemy, right? Uh, and, but then Elisha prays, Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opens the servant's eyes, not just the physical eyes, but the, but the eyes to the spiritual and surrounding the army that was surrounding them was the Lord's army, innumerable angels and chariots of fire. The reality is that there is a spiritual world all around us that we don't even see. We have an enemy, the accuser of our souls, who, along with his demons, roam this earth. We need to be vigilant, constantly vigilant to his schemes. Now, this doesn't mean, however, that we are to see the devil and the fact that he might be behind every little negative thing that happens, right? There are some things that, that happen just as a result of living in a fallen, sinful world. The reason you got a flat tire on the way to work this week isn't because the devil's running around with spare nails, poking them in tires, right? You didn't forget the salad for the potluck today because the devil made you do it, right? You didn't get that promotion at work, not because the boss is possessed by a demon and he hates you, right? No, the devil isn't causing your body to wear down, get old, and sick. Those are, those are just the result of living in a fallen, sinful world. And we await the day that Christ returns and sets all things right. However, in the meantime, we need to be alert, sober-minded, and watchful to the schemes of the devil. He does desire to use the situations and the, and the struggles and trials of life to discourage you and to wear you down, to tear you down. Our enemy's goal, his ultimate goal, Peter says, is to devour you to devour you. He usually doesn't want to do this all at one time. No, our, our enemy is, he is a patient enemy. He knows he has a lot of time, your entire life, in fact, to try to devour you. So he won't do it just at once, but he'll do it over the course of a million tiny little bites. A little bit of doubt here, a little bit of discouragement there, a sprinkling of division on, on top of it all. And when you look back, you'll notice that he has made some significant inroads into your soul to devour you. Thankfully, there are some ways that believers can arm themselves against our enemy. And the counter-defensive uh, to the schemes of the devil doesn't involve complicated drills or maneuvers or anything like that. Very practical, simple ways, as Peter puts it, to resist him, to stand strong in your faith, to stay in the faith. First and foremost, I would uh, encourage you high school seniors and, and others as well, make the gathering together with Christians a priority. High school seniors, as you go off to college, you're going to have lots of new things to orientate yourself to, a new school, new classmates, a new work-life balance, all of those things and more. But please, wherever you go, whether, again, it be near or far, find a church to connect with. And the word of encouragement isn't just for the high school seniors who are heading off to college. This is for all of us as well. <laughs> we enter the summer months here in Memorial Day weekend. Uh, next weekend, officially, unofficially, right, kicks off summer. And we know that many of you will head to lakes or go on vacations for some much-needed, much-deserved rest and, and relaxation, right? And enjoy those times. Take them, rest, relax, spend time recharging. But also, in your midst of that, don't neglect the gathering together with other believers during the summer months. 
Now would be a good time to take that little survey in your bulletin and fill it out as I'm encouraging you to do this, right? Again, they're in the back table. Fill those out. Uh, Help us to locate you and gather you guys together. Maybe there's a Bible-believing church near your lake cabin. Good. (laughs) Attend it, right? Maybe you'll join with other Christians who are in close proximity to you this summer and have a Bible study together. Good. Do it. Continue to gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. When lions hunt, and if I understand it right, it's usually the lionesses who go out and hunt. When lions hunt, they seek to isolate a gazelle or a zebra from the rest of its herd. They know that there is strength in numbers. One lone impala is much easier to attack than one who's standing strong within the herd. In the same way, the enemy of your souls seeks to isolate you from other Christians. And the antidote is to make gathering together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping the Lord. Make that a priority. The second practical tip for for standing strong in your faith, whether again you're a high school senior, a senior citizen, or anywhere else on that spectrum, is to take time daily for God's word and prayer. Like the first tip, this isn't something earth-shattering, a revelation. No, this is the age-old, time-tested advice. Stay in God's word. Be persistent in prayer. And it doesn't have to be a complicated or drawn-out ritual. Just a couple of minutes each day reading a section or a chapter of God's word. Spending time in prayer each day. It's vital to strengthening your faith. Spending time in God's word and praying ought to be a little bit like eating. Uh, Most of you, maybe some of you, I don't know, ate breakfast this morning, right? I had two eggs, sausage, and some hash browns because I like that, right? (laughs) Um, uh, If you ask me uh, what I had for breakfast, lunch, and dinner yesterday, I could probably tell you, right? Uh, You could probably tell me. But let's go further back. What did you eat for lunch on Tuesday? (laughs) Can you remember? Maybe it was a special occasion and uh, you remember, oh yeah, we did this. Or maybe you always have the same thing. And you, okay, yeah, so that's what you always have, right? But let's even go further back. What about supper on Thursday, January 19th? <laughs> what did you have? Or November, Friday, November 23rd, 2018? <laughs> do you remember? No, none of us do, right? But, I, but I, it's a safe bet that you ate those meals on those days. And the food that you ate sustained you, fed you, nourished you for the time it was given. Just because you can't remember it now doesn't mean that it wasn't important then. And it's the same way with God's word. It's sufficient for the day to sustain us. (laughs) A week from now, you might not be able to tell me uh, what I preached on today, and that's okay, I take no offense on that. (laughs) That's fine. But I'm trusting that the word that you hear today will sustain you today for the day. Just as you eat physical food every day, eat the word of God every single day. Engage in your creator and in your savior with prayer. Another tip then, high school seniors, is to get involved, get connected with a campus ministry, crew, inner varsity, FCA. You need to find fellow Christians on campus or in the workplace or in the senior living facility, wherever it happens to be, just as much as you need to gather together in a local congregation. Get connected. And a final piece of advice for you high school seniors is to find ways to volunteer. Find ways to give back and to serve others. 
This simple practice gets you out of your own struggles and helps you see the world outside of your self-imposed bubble. Serve a meal at a homeless shelter once a week. Tutor in your area. Uh, Volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center. Find some ways to focus on others rather than yourself. Those are just some practical ways to stand strong in your faith and to stay grounded and to be alert against the devil's schemes. We could leave, there's more to say, but we'll leave it at that for now. Stay alert. Now, there's one final component of staying grounded that Peter talks about. He says, um, he says this. He says, stay focused. Look again at verses 10 through 11. Here, Peter encourages you to stay focused on the prize. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here, Peter's call to stay focused on the prize comes in the midst of a stark reality, a reality that suffering happens. Suffering happens. It's not a secret that life is full of suffering, struggles, trials, hard times, right? Oftentimes they are inevitable. Cars that break down, ovens that go on the fritz, jobs that end, cancer that strikes, kids who run away from your love, family members who die. Hard times and struggles are inevitable. However, more than the sufferings that are common to all mankind, I think Peter has in mind suffering for and on the account of Jesus Christ. Back in verse 9, when he's talking about our enemy devouring us and encouraging us to stand firm, Peter says, knowing, he says this, he says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are be, being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Ever since the days of Jesus, his followers have faced persecution. Indeed, he knew that we would. He said, if the world hates you, he said, know that it hated me first. Persecution has always taken many different forms, whether it's verbal harassment and mockery, socioeconomic consequences for following Jesus, physical threats of violence, including death. And this morning, as we prayed through that uh, prayer list, we prayed for the persecuted church. We prayed for our brothers and sisters in the Maldives. Uh, The Maldives is an island of, or a nation of islands, I'm sorry, in the Indian Ocean. Uh, It's supported 100% by tourism. And it's a Muslim nation where it's illegal to be anything but a Muslim. If a person becomes a Christian, that person is stripped of their citizenship and even given the death penalty in some cases. High school seniors, as you go through life, you'll discover that your faith will be tested. And it comes not just from the atheistic professor or the roommates who are Christians in name only. Uh, Attacks on Christian faith and belief comes from all fronts. And know that these attacks on your faith, that they're normal, that they're common. (laughs) They're being endured by your brothers and sisters around the world, even now and in the past. So when you encounter these struggles and these trials, these questions about your faith, know that there's a community of believers who have gone through the same thing, exactly what you're going for, through, and, and reach out to them. Find strength and support in the answers that come from fellow believers. Yet even in the midst of all of this suffering, Peter would remind you that God is a God of grace. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The God of all grace. 
This means that, that primarily God is the source of all grace. He is the origin of all grace. Grace constantly flows from him. The Red River begins flowing north with the, with the joining of the Otter Tail River and the Bois de Sioux Rivers. That's the source. The source of the Missouri River is up in the Rocky Mountains and the Mississippi River begins at Itasca. Rivers have their source, their beginnings, their origin. In the same way, God is the origin of grace. God being the source of grace is also a little bit like the sun being our source of light and heat. Without the sun, earth would be cold, dull, and lifeless, right? Light and heat emanate from the sun. God is the source of grace, the origination of grace. His grace is what sustains us. Just like those rivers constantly flowing down those hills, just like the sun constantly shining and providing light and heat, God's grace shows, flows and shines from him, sustaining us, carrying us throughout life. We rely on his grace. And he has called you to his glory. God is a God of grace who has called you into his glory. This is the prize that we need to stay focused on. He's called you through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ and his death for you. And that gospel message, that, that gospel placed on you at baptism, confirmed numerous times throughout your life, that gospel message is what continues to sustain you and encourage you each day. He has called you. And being called into his glory means that you, brothers and sisters, have been called to eternal life through Christ Jesus. And eternal life begins in the here and in the now. It isn't just something that we start on the other side of death. Yes, that's ultimate. But it finds its fulfillment here, right here, right now. And finally, Peter gives this beautiful benediction, this beautiful prayer of blessing that the Lord himself who called you to his glory would restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish each one of you. These are not just promises for the far-off future, but this is for the here and for the now. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of life, in the midst of going off into college and career, the Lord himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish each one of you. College is often billed as this time to reinvent yourself, right? You go off to a larger campus with different classmates who don't know your past. You can be whoever you want to be, right? High school seniors, don't change too much, all right? Stay humble, stay reliant, stay alert, stay focused. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I thank you for the day. Thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, we pray again for these high school seniors that you would continue to keep them grounded in your word. Keep each one of us grounded in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.